Welcome, everybody. We're here with the 180 Win Podcast, brought to you by UMA. Today, we're joined by Jason Walsh, a leader, a federal employee, a DJ, uh, comes to us from Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, Jason, welcome. How's it going? Oh, doing well, doing well. A lot to talk about today. Uh, What we try to do with this podcast is find stories in the small business community of resourcefulness, ingenuity, courage, and I believe we have all three of those with you today. Uh, excited to hear about uh, the beginnings of your DJ work, um, kind of walk through that a little bit and into what you're doing today with the, the LEC. So we'll bring some of those stories out and some of the questions, but I look forward to having this conversation with you. No, I look forward so, to being here. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Uh, Jason, let's bring me up to speed a little bit. Uh, walk me through your, your early DJ years and how that's brought you to where it is today. Can you walk me through that? Sure. So I, um, I started DJing right out of high school. Um, I went to a couple of dances where the DJs just weren't that great. Um, I decided to get into it because I had a large CD collection at the time. So um, back when we were on CDs and, and a little bit on the panel. <laughs> but, um, you know, my music collection was, was pretty big for uh, an 18-year-old. So I took the next step and, and started DJing youth groups and at church dances and things like that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of took off from there. Uh, started with, like I said, youth youth dances, and and um, moved that into bar mitzvahs, moved it into corporate events, and then really ended up in weddings. I, I say ninety percent of my my events now are weddings. Yeah, so today you run a successful DJ business doing weddings mm-hmm. in the Baltimore, Maryland area. You want to tell us a little bit about that? You got to get a plug in there. <laughs> sure, my company's a Bay DJ. So um, been in business for about twenty. This is my 25th year actually in business. Uh, we've done over 1,500 weddings. I've done over 1,500 weddings mm-hmm. myself. Um, have had employees and have uh, subcontractors. Have had no subcontractors. Right now, I've I don't have anyone working with me. Uh, but in the past, up to five DJs have worked with me, and um, you know, producing up to you know, on times three or four events a weekend. So it, it does get a little bit complicated in terms of shuffling uh, my priorities. And, and once my kids were born, my wife said. Uh, let's let's scale back the DJ business and and focus on the the career. So, I am a federal employee, and um, uh, this is a side gig for me. So I do about fifteen weddings a year at this point, as opposed to the sixty weddings I was doing. Wow. I went to put myself put myself through law school, so I went to University of Baltimore for law school, and um, took that inform- took that that knowledge and and really created the U.S. Disc Jockey Association. So the U.S. DJA was kind of born out of a my love for DJing, but then also my, my uh, passion for, for helping others in the industry. Right. So we can talk a little bit about that as well. So you noticed something as a, as a businessman, DJing is a little bit different, but as a business model, uh, there were some things you learned that you wanted to pass on to some others. Is that right? Is that the, how we sprung up the USDJA? Exactly. Yeah. So, so in the area, we started with um, a group called the Baltimore Area Disc Jockey Association, and that's been over 20 years. Um, a local group of, of guys and gals that get together, you know, once a month, we meet in person. We used to meet at restaurants. Uh, now we've got a dedicated space where we meet and do some training and, and talk about, you know, what's, what's on everyone's mind in terms of business. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are good at, at DJing, but they're not great at business. So we try to, to marry the two up and even some people are better at business than DJing. So, and we can learn a lot from each other. And, um, you know, it was really the kind of, uh, taking USDJA, expanding that on the Baltimore group that we had, expanding that out to hundreds of DJs nationwide, 
uh, was kind of the, you know, the idea that I had for the, the organization. So that's interesting because normally in these venues and in these arenas, you, you're competing with other people. You're competing with even other vendors for the same dollars at these wedding events. Uh, and you've brought people together to say, hey, we need to band together to figure this out and get really, really good at this. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something we did, you know, before the pandemic and, and continue to do today. But, um, you know, in the last uh, four to five to even 10 years, yeah, the the working together aspect uh, definitely dominates the you know competition aspect. So, you know, we can all excel in certain areas. Some some DJs might be great club DJs or might be great wedding DJs. Right. Um, some DJs might have great lighting setups that you don't want to invest mm. money in lighting setups. So, you know, you can hire that DJ to, to do lighting for your event. They might hire you to do sound for their event. So it's it's give and take. It's sharing. It's it's working together to make events uh, run well. You brought up the pandemic. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. So you're DJing. The pandemic comes and it's a new realization for everybody. Municipalities are making decisions on live events. Uh, what does that look like for your, your organization? Yeah, so um, it really put the brakes on everything. I mean, it put the brakes mm-hmm. on events. To have an event, you need people, right? So you, whether you're a club DJ, you know, mixing at a bar, whether you're a wedding DJ or, or doing bar mitzvahs, you need to have people in front of you to work. And, um, you know, really we went from a hundred to zero overnight because everyone, you know, as soon as the pandemic started, it was kind of a couple of days of uncertainty. And then it was really, this thing is real and we're not going to be having our event. So, you know, for the next several months, we would get phone calls. I would get phone calls. Other DJs would get phone calls and just say, Hey, we're not having the event. We're pushing it off. Um, you know, I'm doing events now, but they were postponed three, four or five times because the, the couples weren't sure, you know, when mm. they're when it was going to be safe to have their events. So, you know, really, we had to uh, kind of pivot. Some DJs went online. Some DJs started, you know, online mixing and had mixed shows at night uh, on weekends. Some DJs, you know, got into uh, doing more of the um, the faith uh, based, you know, um, entertainment and AV really more, more AV than entertainment. They you know, would go into churches and, and they've already got the equipment. A lot of them would just supplement with video and then, you know, started streaming businesses. So they kind of were able to pivot quickly. And, and some of the, uh, the government stimulus money helped, you know, them, them finance the, the, uh, the pivot to the new video and, and, uh, and zoom or, uh, streaming, you know, devices. Stimulus money. So tell me in your business, it's got to be difficult to to navigate that world as with the combination of 1099 employees, W2 employees, the way you get your money from events. How did the stimulus money impact everybody in your organization? It impacted people differently. So, you know, some DJs were um, 1099 employees. So if you're a subcontractor, you know, maybe you weren't on someone's books and then they couldn't offer you anything. If you were a subcontractor and, and weren't regularly employed by someone, maybe you didn't qualify for uh, the unemployment that you should have. Um, mm. You know, eventually it came around that th- there was more uh, funding for the the subcontractors and 1099s. But you know, initially it was learning that being a sole proprietor of a business, an owner operator, wasn't a great thing <laughs> during the pandemic because. They were giving incentives to those that had employees working for them to keep those employees working, but they didn't initially do a lot for the individual. So, you know, most businesses are 
comprised of individuals in America. So, you know, those owner operators were really, in some cases, left high and dry if they didn't have other employment. Right. And I believe our listeners are probably intrigued now. You've got a group of people uh, that you're somewhat responsible for, quote unquote, responsible for. They're coming to you with questions. What are they asking? What are they looking for from the organization? Yeah, I mean, with my my legal background, the first question I was getting almost every day was, what do I do with my contracts? Do I have to give right. money? Back? Do I um, just move the, the contract outright? Do I charge more? Because when you think about it, you know, a lot of restaurants were able to operate maybe at a takeout capacity. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of businesses were able to operate remotely. And, you know, the the DJ world, there was no, for the most part, there was no real remote work to do. Um, so moving an event from today to, a, you know, six or eight months or a year from now basically means I don't get paid now and I don't get paid for that event a year from now because maybe that client's already paid me. So, you know, I'm getting I'm getting one payment but I'm losing two dates that I can potentially sell. So, you know, it is what it is in terms of the pandemic, but uh, in terms of, you know, financing and then being able to uh, support your family, you know, there was definitely, we knew there was going to be a loss at some point. So some of the clients paid in front, uh, paid up front. So if they were, mm-hmm. you know, the payments were due during the pandemic and their wedding was supposed to occur during the pandemic, they just paid up uh, and helped us out. But then some clients wanted to pay, you know, when their event took place. So they would have to, you know, push that down the road. So DJs weren't getting paid in 2020. And then they also, you know, didn't have the, that extra slot to sell, uh, extra weekend to sell in 2021. All right. So you mentioned restaurants and there was a big push from a governmental standpoint on how to take care of businesses like that. The model that is a restaurant model takeout, you mentioned. Uh, there was no real government intervention or support really that specifically guided towards what you do live events. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really hard. It was um, the very first week of the pandemic. Uh, we had a couple of DJs that did very well online streaming just to bring up people's hope, you know, just kind of keep some, some fun mm-hmm. for kids, especially on the, on the evenings uh, a local DJ here, Chris Kopeck, he he raised two million dollars wow. by DJing um, evenings. He he would take weekends, start around seven o'clock, and and have like a seven to ten o'clock show Eastern, um, where he would have tens of thousands of people watching him from across the country, donating money, which he in turn you know put that towards buying things for nurses, buying um, meals for for firefighters and EMS workers that were you know uh, helping out. Um, had millions of, um, of views at the end of this, had millions of views to, to um, his videos. And, you know, I guess the overall uh, theme to all that was, you know, there's something that, that we could do as DJs. At that point, it was just, you know, virtual, right? Um, but the government wasn't really helping us out. So uh, what we did, what, what I did the first week, the very first week of the pandemic was to write my congressman and say, hey, this is my, this model seems to be working. Can we, you know, get some uh, some exceptions or exceptions to the Copyright Act? Because the Copyright Act basically says you can't do that because it's it's a video you know platform. We're not allowed to stream uh, royalty music. So to do that was technically you know illegal. Uh, it wasn't being enforced initially. Then then uh, Facebook and other social media I'm sure. platforms started taking things down. <laughs> But it was it was just us. We weren't we weren't trying to make a buck. It was just just trying to raise spirits and things like that. So, 
And I reached out to my congressman and said, what can we do? Can you can you give us a little bit of a break during the pandemic? Uh, can you help DJs earn a living? Can this be something that's functional? And there was no time to negotiate with with um, you know the record companies or the artists. It was basically just, we needed to do something now. We needed to do it quickly. And hey, think about us when you're talking about stimulus. So people had to become resourceful to try to figure out how to navigate these waters. Uh, it sounds like your your approach was to, to contact your local congressman. Uh, a single voice in the, in the sea of voices looking for support uh, couldn't have been easy, right? No, and, and it wasn't. So it was, um, you know, one, one letter. I, I published it to uh, a group of about 15,000 DJs. And, you know, from that from that group, we found some other DJs that were doing the same thing in their local communities. So, um, you know, one, you know, one guy said, Hey, I did almost the same exact thing as you did uh, asking my local uh, County council or, or Congressman, you know, for the same sort of support. Um, and then it turns out that more and more of us got together and said, Hey, we can actually make, you know, more of a voice in this. So we had the association, but that was more DJ centric. So we're just focusing on DJs. Then we said, well, we can go out bigger and try to get some videographers, photographers, people in the, the theater, uh, people that are doing live events, people that are doing you know big concerts and shows. Obviously, they were hurt too. So it wasn't just DJs; it was you know multiple uh, multiple organizations, multiple businesses. And um, you know we started a started a new association. We were going to to brand this one thing. We did a couple a couple clicks on the keyboard, and we actually found. The live event coalition had already been started, so it was literally, I think, six people at the time, and it grew to tens of thousands nice. of people. And um, you know, the live event coalition basically formed out of necessity to try to get folks all on the same page, asking for, you know, kind of lobbying for stimulus for DJs and entertainers and and event planners, and really anyone in this industry that has been hit hard and, and couldn't work. So now I'm curious, you banded everybody together or you, the desire was to try to get the DJs taken care of. You band everybody together and say, hey, we can do something, have a bigger voice. Let's let's help people understand what live events really are like and, and how this is impacting real America. Right. People with small businesses. Uh, you found everybody else in that wedding industry combined or wanted to combine them. You Google something and now you've got a coalition that you guys can join us as the USDJA. Is that yeah, I mean, USDJA joined the Live Events Coalition as a partner association. Um, and, you know, we had very small impact in, in what they were already doing and what they continue to do. Um, but some of our members, you know, especially up in New York, New York has a chapter, the very active New York, New Jersey chapter. Um, they did some things on Broadway. So Times Square, they actually had a mock wedding. They, they had empty tables, and empty seats with signs on them. It, it made the uh, Today Show and, and Good Morning America. But basically, the message there was, you know, hey, don't forget about us. Don't forget about the fact that, you know, you're not going to a wedding and everyone that was a staff or an employee or entertainer at that wedding isn't getting paid, you know, paycheck this weekend. So um, the the Washington area chapter, the Washington, D.C. area chapter held a, um, a mock concert on the mall. You know, they had, you know, huge, huge stage, huge trailer stage with all the lights and effects and sounds, but no one there. So it was just, again, more signs and, and just kind of a, 
uh, reality of we can't do this event. You know, we would love to do this event and have people here in person, you know, thousands of people watching a, a concert, but we couldn't do it. So uh, it was just bringing more awareness to the situation. And, you know, while everyone was hurting in, in their own way and, and maybe unemployed in different industries, you know, this was one industry that kind of got overlooked. Airlines got taken care of, restaurants got taken care of um, to some extent. And DJs and entertainers were just kind of at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the barrel. And, and it was more um, just not having a lobby to begin with. So we kind of created our own, own little lobby. Right. I, I think you mentioned before SAG has a, a big constituency and they have a lobby and like you said, the airlines and then there, there are people voicing their concerns and looking for ways to be supported. This was your way to get this done. Joining this organization was your way to get this done. What was the impact of, of that lobby, um, the, the result for your, your team? Yeah, I mean, definitely the, um, the LEC was able to, to get on a lot of calendars. So they, they met with a lot of high-ranking uh, senators and, and their local governors. Um, you know, certainly local county councils were able to extend grants. Uh, here in Baltimore, the Baltimore uh, Council was able to extend arts and entertainment grants. And that, that happened all, all across the country. And we kind of, um, once, we, once we would hit on something, we would kind of replicate it in other states and other counties uh, and just say, hey, here's what happened in my council, in my county council, sorry. Um, maybe you can- That's three times fast, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe you can replicate that in your own county councils or um, in cities and states and towns and say, hey, um, this DJ is going to get paid in advance for an event that might happen next year. Um, you know, and it's, it's just a way to, we actually had events, you know, they were booking five, 10 events at a time at County parks. You know, once the, once it got better, people could go to the park. So we would, you know, provide music to, uh, to parks, you know, outs in, um, you know, churches were, we're hiring DJs now once they were made more aware of, you know, the, the impact and, and the members, being outside the congregation and being outside was safer than being inside. You know, they were hiring um, DJs and, and entertainers for those type of events outside. Got it. So we're here today. Uh, things are looking up. I imagine your constituency in the USDJA is looking up as well. Uh, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. I mean, weddings have picked up. Um, it's going to be the roaring twenties. It's going to be a, <laughs> a gangbusters, you know, from now moving forward, obviously, you know, we're, we see the light of the end of the tunnel. It's on 100% yet, but, um, you know, definitely with most states opening up uh, with few, you know, restrictions and, and few capacity limits, um, we're definitely seeing that um, events are picking back up. So I think this year people might be a little more cautious, but 2022, you know, if you're going to get married, now's the time to book because, <laughs> you know, everyone I talk to, their 2022 calendar is almost filled because it's literally – uh, jam-packed with couples that were going to get married in, in 19, uh, you know, end of 19 or uh, 2020 that, you know, either for whatever reason uh, moved up once they heard about uh, COVID. And, and you know, uh, 2022, I think, is going to be uh, the year to be an entertainer. Okay. We lost a few companies just because, you know, when you're when you're in the business and, and you know, you're doing this as either a side hustle or you're doing it um, not to the extent of a full-time job, then you know you might uh, you might find something else. So there were definitely some some um, some losses in the number of companies out there. But you know for the most part, the companies that survived, you know during a during a pandemic, uh, 
either you go big or you go home in, in you know, some extent. So, you know, the companies that, that really pushed and, and kept the marketing going and, and um, you know, held on to their clients are, are going to see, you know, maybe two or three fold, you know, come next year. Awesome. Yeah, and Jason, I think it's the story. It's a testament again to the, the courage and resourcefulness and, and figuring out what the problem is, how to solve it, uh, and, and how to band together a bunch of people in order to get a message out there that, hey, look, we, we also need some help. Uh, I love the story. Is there anything that you can think of? What story would you want to tell about this, this whole thriving through this environment? Yeah, I think just having a community and having a network of folks you can rely on Mm-hmm. In any industry, it's it's 100% necessary. Um, as a business owner, you can think, you know, hey, I'm I'm going to do it all on my own. I'm going to be my um, marketing guru. Or I'm going to be my tech guru. Or I'm going to be my legal counsel. And it's really, it's not your job as a business owner to do all those things. It's your job as a business owner to be creative, or you know, move your product forward. But if you don't have all the experience in those certain areas, you know, lean on your resources available to you. Um, and competing, uh, I would say <laughs> competing is so eighties or nineties. It's, it's, it's almost, you know, working together is the, the way we're going to move forward. Um, obviously you're going to have competition, but you know, the way that the DJ industry looked at our competition 20 years ago is much different than, than today where we, we see them as friends. We see them socially, we hang out with them. We would never do that 20 years ago, especially in certain areas in the country, New York being one of them. Um, you would never talk to your competition. You kind of had your turf and um, it's really the, the tide has changed, I would say. And, and um, you know, we're working together as an industry and, and, you know, whatever industry you're in, you know, start reaching out, get a mentor, get a, get some resources that you can, can rely on because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we didn't plan for a pandemic. We didn't have it in our contracts. Everyone's changed their contracts <laughs> and um, you know, we're ready for the next, whatever next hurdle that come. So, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there was a, a few things that we could have done differently, right? So you know, the one thing I, I kind of talked about was having a better contract and not mm-hmm. knowing that we're gonna have a pandemic. We didn't have, you had acts of God in there, but you know, people didn't right. know if that was covered under pandemics. Um, you know, people were worried about um, clients bailing on them. So, you know, whether they were going to get their money back, whether the client was just going to say, I'm going to cancel the event and you didn't provide any services for me. So what I advised a lot of the, the DJs in the, the group was basically to break up your contracts to provide consultation upfront and the actual event and maybe even, you know, rental services, if that's something you provide. So, you know, break up the contract and say, well, my, my pre-event consultation, sitting down with you, talking about your event, helping you plan the event is worth X dollars. And that's your deposit. And that's basically, we'll take that up front. And then when I complete the event, it's worth the, the balance of 50%. So that was kind of one way to, you know, restructure contracts and, and make sure that you were taken care of that way. So at least it wasn't a total loss if someone, you know, was canceling an event on you. The other thing we lost, we, we uh, talked about and, and learned a lot about was savings. I mean, people, business owners are sometimes horrible savers because they're so busy reinvesting in their business. And, you know, it's great to have, you know, good DJ equipment or lots of fancy lights, but you can't sell them during a pandemic when the other DJs aren't working either. So 
um, having you know cash is king, so to speak. If you've got cash in the bank, uh, you're able to you know stretch that out and and um, and get by to the next event. So um, you know, again, no matter what industry you're in, you know, make sure you have a, a backup plan. Make sure you have you know several months of savings or at least a an action plan. And if this occurs again, how are you going to get through it? How are you who are you going to lean on to help? And you know, we had some guys move in with each other. You know, they were renting separately. And they said, hey, my lease is up. Anybody want to, you know, get a three bedroom and we'll have instead of having three apartments, we had, you know, one three bedroom. So, um, you know, team up where you can. And um, uh, my wife wasn't looking to have any renters here, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, and definitely we, we helped out uh, DJs and, and those that we could either I pass events on to them because I already had employment and I was able to to kind of funnel work to them. Um, and just, you know, count my blessings and say, Hey, you know, take this, take this wedding. I, I, um, I could book it, but you need it more than I do right now. So, um, you know, just the, the networking, the, the saving and, and, um, just kind of, you know, minding your, your business sense moving forward, how you're going to learn from this event and, and, um, change your contracts or, or change the way you do business. That makes sense. The power of community is strong, but in your wife's words, it only goes so far, right? (laughs) You're not moving in. (laughs) Jason, thanks again for spending the time with us today. Thanks again for the great interview. No problem, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, If I can give a little plug, a little shout out for U.S. Disc Jockey Association, usdja.org is our website. So if you could could check it out and and give us a, a like or uh, we don't really have a YouTube page, but you could subscribe once we do. And <laughs> and um, thank you very much for having me. Good luck to all those entrepreneurs out there watching.